Hey everyone, welcome back to Very Heroic Living. I'm here with Aaron for our first official episode. Congratulations, Joe. It's the very first episode. Congratulations to you, too. I think we had a lot of success with our pilot and some pretty good feedback. Yeah, a lot of people have good things to say, so we appreciate everybody that took the time to listen to that. Yeah, thanks very much, everybody. In today's episode, we're going to bring back a conversation Aaron and I had in the studio a few weeks ago where I talked to him a bit about a concept I learned victim survivor navigator and how i've been applying that to my own experience with von hippo lindau and how that experience is something that transcends the individual story the individual trauma or event where we all sort of find ourselves after something has happened after we've been through an experience and we all end up sort of sharing this path through surviving and navigating in our own lives going forward. Also on today's episode, we have our very first special guest. Aaron and I recently got to road trip up to Boston to the VHL Alliance headquarters and sit down with executive director Chandra Clark. Chandra's been there for a little over a year now, and she's been stirring things up and bringing some new motivation, some new energy, and really focusing in a different way on the patients and advocacy. So it was really great, I think, to go up there and get to talk to her and give her an opportunity to you know talk to our listeners herself and with that thanks again everybody for listening we appreciate it very much and let's get to the episode hey everybody welcome back to very heroic living it's sunday afternoon i'm down here with aaron we're gonna pick up today with a little bit more focus. Uh, Last time we were together was our first time together. And we talked about a lot. Um, You know, you used the word broad stroke and that's a good one because it was kind of all over the place and my experience and the experience and all, all these different details. Right. So I was talking with Jennifer recently and she's actually talked about for years, something she learned. I don't even know how long ago, but um, the concept of victim survivor navigator, right? So we're talking about that today and we're going to focus on the later stage, which is navigator, which is where we all really want to get to in our lives. And especially after we've been victims of something and then surviving something, and then you want to get to a place navigating is really where you get to start living your life again. Right. And so we're going to kind of do this starting at the end because after all these years with VHL, I finally feel like I'm in a place where I've finally been navigating instead of surviving the experience. And I think now's a really good time because with the recent FDA approval, it looks like everyone actually has not only an opportunity to navigate the situation, but to navigate the life that they're living with hope of possibly not having to undergo surgeries or other similar experiences or, you know, being able to actually see their children not have to go through those similar experiences. So uh, it's a really good time for us to be sitting here and talking about all this. And it's, I think, a really good time to kind of skip over the victim and survivor parts for a little while and talk about just navigating living a life. Now, in my situation, I ended up actually having a whole bunch of emergency surgeries because we'll get into the details, like tumors cause certain problems and those problems are wild and radical and you might be fine today and next week you're like we got to get him in and save his life Mm -hmm. so there are still of course tremendous concerns and and dangers and all that but like navigating right back to navigating 
you used to not really be able to navigate because there was a time when they just caught people so late in the game that they couldn't what there's nothing to navigate you're a victim yeah and you might survive yeah yeah and then what we don't even know right, right. yeah now there's Try not to feel like a victim. There are other people in similar situations. Mm-hmm. There's counseling and and communities and forums and doctors who know what they're talking about, which they none of those things existed back then. And so there are people to help you navigate being a victim. So like you can actually like today, you can actually take the navigator and run it right across the entire timeline of the experience. Because there are there are resources to help people navigate all of those experiences. Right. Right. So again, right, now's a really good time to start at the end of the end of the, the goal, the goal here, right? And talk about there's a clinical trial that's led to a really good, you know, efficacy and a lot of people are gonna benefit. So there's actual hope, which is different than well, we can perform surgeries to stop those things from hurting you. But yes, you might need to have this many of these and that many of those. And it still might do all this stuff to you or kill you. And it's like, was, yeah, how many times do I have to say that in one sitting, right? Yeah. And I don't want anybody to be stuck <laughs> on that. It's just, it's a reality. So, but that's part of it, right? Like yeah. you have to navigate having that in the back of your mind all the time. But how does the navigation play out in your head? with that always in the back of your mind like are you limited in certain ways are you always constantly thinking about your condition uh jennifer calls it that my 24 7 app it's the only constantly running app you ever want to have to have i hope it's running in the background at home sometimes it's running in the back <laughs> it's, it, it runs it's really like it's been running constantly the entire time um you know most of the scans that you get with VHL are yearly. So navigating your normal life between scans is fine for the first three months between yearly scans, probably fine between, you know, for the first six months of your yearly scans, maybe still fine at nine months. But it's been a while since I've gotten my MRIs and I had a headache and I don't know if it was just allergies and maybe I felt funny the other day. Maybe I didn't feel funny the other day. I'm not even really sure. What do you mean by felt funny? It gets really weird wondering what's wrong with you a longer time after the doctor just said you're okay. Yeah. Well, there's there's that. I think plenty of people can relate to that myself included uh, very much so just with everything with corona right the second you get some some sniffles oh my god is this coronavirus is do i have covid am i gonna die yeah that's everybody has felt some degree of that in the past couple of years a few people have actually asked uh, really close friends who i guess are brave enough to even ask a question like this oh boy um is this what it feels like to have vhl well, what, mm. do, what do you mean? Do you mean the constant stress and concern over whether or not the sniffles that you have or the person that you saw or the thing or the whatever got you sick or are you? Yeah, it's exactly what it's like. So I'm glad you brought it up because I was kind of hoping that it would also help humanity as a whole. Yeah, you know, right. Like have yeah, this yeah. umbrella experience that we could say like, oh, man, we really are all in this together. <laughs> but I digress. 
Yeah. Uh, we won't go. We won't go down that route. But um, yeah. But, but I think it's just like, like what you're saying though is that like we've sort of had a universal experience of everyone's been stressed about possibly having something that's gonna affect you. Even yeah. even if it doesn't kill you, it's gonna affect you for the rest of your life. Well, and here's the thing about COVID. Just like with VHL, if I get sick, it's gonna affect everyone around me. That's true too. Right. Not only. I might get anybody else sick. Yeah. That doesn't happen with the VHL, yeah. right? This isn't communicable, so it's not like it's airborne or whatever else. But However, it's, like you said, caretaker stuff, right? right? Your your mother yes. had to take care of your father and your brothers. That's yes. you know that becomes her whole life. So yes. how's that not completely stressful on her? So active surveillance, yeah, are the responsible thing to do, right? We're talking. We're gonna do it. I'm gonna fine. I'm not gonna shy away from it. The responsible thing to do. Keep some distance, wear a mask. Maybe you do, maybe you don't get vaccinated, but there are steps that you can take mm-hmm. to act like a relatively responsible and reasonable human being. Yeah. That affects a lot of people aside from yourself. So that's why there's lots of fighting about it. Right? Sure. Yeah. Similarly with VHL, it's a little bit more personal with VHL because it doesn't necessarily hurt other people. But if you know you have it, the responsible, reasonable thing to do is continue always getting tested and make sure you have VHL specialists who you're talking to because even if it doesn't kill you, if something happens, you're going to need, want, trust me, you would prefer to have some people around to help you and you also don't want to put yourself or anybody else through the tremendous stress that is any surgery mm-hmm. with the risks of anesthesia and what could happen. Right. And you know, It's always under the knife is under the knife. So 24-7 running, you always have to have these things going. Yes, very much like the entire world is right now. Something that's constantly on your mind. So whenever you go to do some kind of activity, you have to weigh the pros and cons of, is this worth it or not? Can I handle this? Is this putting someone else in a bad position? Right? Yeah. I surf. I'm just, I, you know, have my whole life, right? We've been, we go back to this because it's the big, it's like this huge part of my life emotionally and otherwise i haven't been able to do it for a long time well for me to do that right now maybe not today because i've i've been out a few times and i feel really good so i'm a little bit more brave about it but you're being very very humble you were ripping out there (laughs) (laughs) i have pictures to prove it Um, tube action shredding (laughs) pissing some people off yeah it was it was a full it was the old joke it was a good day uh, yeah it felt good thank you but to get back in the water was a really Mm. big deal and Mm -hmm. like i wouldn't even let my parents buy me a vest a life vest and we'll stop calling it life vest a flotation device that a pride thing no, it was, I'm doing something that is a little dangerous. I am stepping out a little bit. I don't want to put anyone else in the water in the position to feel obligated to save me. Oh, so you wouldn't and even get in the water. You wouldn't well, even entertain the idea of getting in if for, it meant you had to wear this vest. No, no, no. For a while, because, for a I while, I for a while, I wasn't going to get in the water at all. Right? Period, Still, first right. stuff, stuff happening, and way too sensitive. So, right? But what you're saying is your parents were trying to encourage you by saying there's this option. Well, I thought I'm going to get this yeah. vest oh, okay. and that's going to be like my way back into the water to gotcha. feel safe. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't let them buy it as a present for me uh-huh. because I didn't want them involved in that. Oh, yes. Can, can you imagine the tremendous guilt of something happening? You to, wanted them to and have that goes, nothing to do with it. That goes through their head of like, why did we buy this right. for them? Yeah. And so like before I would have said, you know, we were, we were talking about, you know, you have to worry about your activities. Well, somebody with diabetes, for example, also always concerned about 
what food they have to eat yeah. or can't eat mm-hmm. or that, you know, checking their blood sugar or have to give themselves a shot in the middle of the day because things are going wrong and they need their medicine. Um, you know, it's a complicated life. It's a stressful thing. You've got to learn how not to feel like a victim. You've got to learn how to survive it. You've got to get to a place where you can navigate without feeling all the stress of the first two parts. So it's again, right. That's why, and that's why we're here, right. The very heroic living application to everything, right. It's not just about having this one illness. That's just my experience. But surfing is so much of who you are. It's like you, you love it, you love it on a deep level, right. Right. It's it's in, it's in your soul. You got to do it. Right. So eventually you start feeling comfortable enough. You hope so. You hope, you hope, you don't know for sure when you go out there. right? Right. But you do eventually. Well, I got lucky again. Even without surfing, I have learned how I've learned how to golf. <laughs> I go golfing with my dad all the time, which is awesome. I have some friends who are golfing now. Your brother's one of them, right? It's like one of the only times we all get to hang out is out on a golf course for a few hours. It's fun, man. It, it is. It's worth it. You know, I made fun of it my whole life. I kind of still do sometimes, but I'm out there. Some of the trappings of it is ridiculous. It's true. Yes. It's true. Um, but I also, and you know this, right? I picked up the camera after my last mm-hmm. surgery and all, and I was like, well, if I can't be in the water, I'm at least going to go up there. And I was the guy in the winter gear in January in a, in a light snow standing under the pier snapping shots of guys in barrels who are insane enough to be out there while it's snowing getting barreled and they all appreciated it. So it was still a way to be close. I was like, so you got there's navigating also means sometimes you got to give it up, right? Give what up? Whatever. Your fear. I, had, I thought I was going to have to give up. Oh, I'll give up. Got it. Right. Got to give a piece of your life, mm-hmm. a piece of who you thought you were and then find out somewhere else that that's not who you were. Mm. Never forget that the other thing, whatever it is, is not who you are. Mm. It might be what you love the most and you might never be able to replace it. Sometimes you got to act. That's what giving something up really is, is not being able to replace it Hmm. and being all right. Right. There's still some survivorship to that, but that's navigating. I know people who have been through, you know, a multitude of brain surgeries and they're never going to have a normal life again. Fortunately for them, they've like, they've got a couple kids the kids don't have VHL or the kids do have VHL. Either way, they're going to figure out how to navigate it. They've got a good partner who is healthy and enough to take care of them when they're down. And and then there are other people who don't. And, you know, like, I didn't think I was ever going to get married. I certainly didn't think that I'd be alive at 40. And so, like, I don't have kids. It's my experience. I've actually had other VHL patients get a little upset with me about my decisions on how to navigate it because it made them feel a certain way about their decisions to navigate it. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got to figure their own life out. Right. So it's, it's complicated. (laughs) It's it's complicated. It's complicated. (laughs) It really is. And it's, it's not something that you're ever going to fully figure out. It's ever evolving. I've lost skills and abilities and capacities over the years most of them have come back to me after recovering and I'm really fortunate for that, but I've also lost a few. And so if I commit wholly to the reality that I might never do that again, it kind of just makes it easy to be in the moment. And later when things have come back, it's also really exciting to get them back because you didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. So it's right? so like, that's my take on navigating 
especially after something like brain surgery. Because you really, like, they can say, hey, we're, you know, we're operating on this part of your brain. This is the list of things that might happen to you if something goes wrong, right? And, and those vary tremendously from one part of the brain to the other because of the things your brain controls, right? So in my case, um, suboccipital is the lower back portion of your brain. And typically suboccipital means very near your cerebellum, which is the part of your brain that meets the spinal cord. So this has a lot to do with uh, movement, motor skills, dexterity, balance, and anything related to kind of like your center of physical being. Right. Right. Which fortunately means that it's not necessarily going to affect like your cognitive skills, your memory. Right. So like you can kind of see coming that if you have problems, they're going to be this way or that way. Right. So like there's at least at least there's that. So you can hope that they're not too bad. And then you come out of it and you see how it goes. I think I was telling you before, after my second surgery, it was very related to my first spinning vertigo experience on a soccer field, almost got hurt very seriously just from the fall. So I had to accept that I was probably never going to go back to playing that sport again. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a big deal. But again, right, we've known each other for since we were kids. I had been doing that my entire life and I loved doing it and mm -hmm. giving it up wasn't easy. And it doesn't just mean no more of this sport that you play. It also means, can you walk straight? Can you walk up and down the stairs safely? Right. Can you, can you, right? There's a long yeah. list of questions that all start with, can you, right? Some of, some of them end with ever again. And some of them are just like, for how long? And so you got to figure your way out. So that's been the big navigator experience is just committing to the idea that you might have to shift. Right. It's not really focusing on what you might lose. It's a lot of acceptance going on there. Lots of acceptance. Mm -hmm. I've actually got lots to say later. We can talk about acceptance and patience and mm -hmm. tolerance and mm -hmm. all of these things. And like they're usually things that people talk about when you're like being tolerant of other people or patient with others or accepting of others. But how about all of those things with yourself? Yeah. Which is really good for anybody to do anyway. Mm -hmm. But once you start having things poked and prodded and maybe you start losing capacities, you really got to accept yourself. Yeah. You got to be able to forget about even being patient or tolerant because quite frankly, I've been exhausted of my patients so many times when it comes to recovering from surgeries that if it weren't for just accepting the situation in the first place, I'd probably go nuts because if you, you got to like, you got to really just put yourself there ahead of time as much as you can, because once you, once it really happens, it's not the same. It's way worse. You can imagine losing a loved one as much as you want, but until you experience really losing a loved one, having your heart broken or a death or whatever it is, or like you don't know. So navigating is really one about experience, right? Being a victim and being a survivor does lead to it. But you really want to take that back to the beginning of the situation for later. Next time you have to be a victim and next time you're going to have to survive something, it would be nice if you had a tool bag full of things that are going to help you do that. Right. Or have learned that you don't have tools to accomplish something and you need a spouse, a family member, just a friend who mm -hmm. knows that you had surgery and comes by and walks your dog for you or just whatever it is, right? We need those things. And those are all ways to navigate. So 
Very fortunately, it's now fall, but it's still kind of the middle of the year, 2021, um, three and a half years out of this surgery and all that business, um, three years coming up on this clinical trial that's going really well. And so the kidney cancer is shrinking. I don't have any new VHL tumors for a long time right now, uh, longer than I've been able to say since I was a teenager. And as Aaron said before, I am going to stay humble about it, but I'm going to be really excited about it. And I'm surfing again <laughs> and it feels good. And so that's my story about being a navigator. And I hope everybody else can make it through being a victim and a survivor and a navigator and hold on to that last part for later because we might need it again. Hi, my name is Josh Mann, and I'm the Director of Health for the VHL Alliance. If you or your family member or somebody you know has been diagnosed with VHL, I hope you will check out VHL.org to learn more about VHL and what resources are available to you from the VHL Alliance. You can learn more about clinical trials at VHL.org slash clinical dash trials. You could also learn about the MyVHL Patient Natural History Study, which is an online patient registry where patients can go online and enter information about their experience with VHL. The information will be kept private and will be used by researchers to learn more about VHL as well as cancer in general. I also encourage you to join us for our annual family weekend taking place October 15th through the 18th online, but hosted by the hospital at the University of Pennsylvania. You can learn more at vhl.org slash family weekend. everyone and welcome back. I'd like to introduce our very first special guest, Chandra Clark. Chandra has been working in nonprofit and community roles for over 15 years, working towards self-empowerment for others and supporting lesser privileged individuals to thrive and succeed. Chandra has worked with organizations such as Big Brothers Big Sisters of Kansas City, Newhouse, and Kaufman Scholars. Most recently, Chandra celebrated her one-year anniversary as the executive director of the VHL Alliance. Congratulations, Chandra, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Joseph. It's an honor to be here. I had the privilege of meeting Chandra about a year and maybe a few months ago as I became part of one of the clinical care centers with the VHLA as I became a cancer patient. And shortly thereafter, as I started working with the Alliance as part of their ambassadors program, Chandra had just come on board. And so I had the pleasure of meeting her and getting to experience what the new direction of the VHL Alliance was going to be and how this new energy that she was bringing to the organization was really going to shift and take us into a new era. So actually, Joseph, I distinctly remember the first ambassador call. I remember the meeting and I remember just sharing about my vision for the Alliance and just my passion for the mission of our organization. And I burst into tears. And you were so kind because you sent me a message in a chat and you said, it's okay. And so even as I think about that now, like I have to hold back tears because it's this idea of quality of life, right? And I just remember 
wanting to convey that to the group in the most sincere manner and just ended up bawling. But I think it was at that moment that I realized, okay, I can do this. I do not have VHL, but what I do have is a sincere desire to make sure that all of our patients and their families and their caregivers have the highest quality of life. Well, I do remember that now that you mentioned, and I'm glad you did, because it was a really beautiful kind of initial moment for the ambassadors to meet their new leader and have their new leader be so emotionally engaged. It was I think that was really great for all of us because we're also very emotionally engaged. It's nice to have somebody else be that way with us. Yes. We've spoken a little bit about you had this decision to make before you actually came out to Boston and the VHLA where you actually, I believe there was an organization out in California that you previously thought that's where you actually wanted to be. How did you end up making the decision to go in the literally opposite direction in the country and come to Boston and and be here with the VHLA? So that is a great question. And it's something that I've been thinking about lately because I am so passionate about careers. I believe that we are called in our careers. So I know specifically that is my career journey. And so I went through this very intensive process about a year Before I accepted the role with the Alliance, I knew that it was time for me to do something different. I just knew my soul was calling me into something different. But, you know, I think there was a part of me that knew I wanted to leave Kansas City. And there was a part of me that it built such a community there that it was like, well, maybe your next opportunity is here. So I started going through the interview process. And honestly, Joseph, I was used to all of my roles I've been recruited for unless I created it. And this was the first time that I actually had to put myself out there and do a search. And it was very difficult in a sense because I am very open about my journey from trauma recovery. And so anytime that I have to push myself in certain areas, the unworthiness and the lack of confidence would come to surface. And so, you know, you couple that with also being a woman of color in senior leadership and you're going for these roles and you know that you're qualified for them, but the interview process does not necessarily leave you feeling very good about yourself. So I spent a year going through that and I interviewed for over 13 roles and would come down to me and one other candidate. And I remember asking for feedback and the feedback would be, oh, you were great. We just went another direction. So that was actually just heartbreaking. But I can tell you now, being here in this chair at this present moment, it was one of the best experiences that I went through because it taught me to really take ownership of who I was as a leader, my value, my worth, but also understanding that I go where I'm called. So I believe that I was called to the VHL Alliance and called to come to the Northeast, to come to Boston. And I believe that I am the person to take our organization to the next level. And so I think that You know, as a person who I'm all about emotional intelligence, I lead from my heart. The workplace culture does not always necessarily champion that. But I think the beauty of an organization like the Alliance, because VHL is such an emotionally taxing disease, you want to have a leader who leads from their heart and who really cares and that every decision that is made is really about is this best for our community and the beautiful part about this is that every day my ego 
it's at the door. Nothing that we do as an organization is about me. It really is, you know, really trying to think through the lens of how does this help our community move forward? What can we do to really help their lives? And that's really how I got here and why I'm here. Well, thank you. That's a really beautiful answer. And I'm so glad to hear this sort of honesty where you weren't in a strong place before and you had to go through this struggle and not necessarily make a decision, but just put yourself out there and Mm -hmm. see how that played out and where you were called. And so how lucky for us that you were called here. Thank you. I think after having a few calls and having the really honor of working on the VHL handbook translation and with my mother, right? Mm -hmm. For the past few months, getting to interact over that has been really special. And the energy that you've brought since, you know, your arrival in our first calls, I think has really shown through that kind of humanity and the energy of inclusion and sensitivity Mm -hmm. and caring. So I think on behalf of all of us, I can say thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. That actually brings up an article that I just read this morning in SparkPoint. And if you don't mind, I'd really like to read this quote of yours to our listeners and maybe dive a little deeper into that. Sure. So this is a quote by Chandra that we just read this morning, my mom and I. If our patients can decide to get up every day and put one foot in front of the other, then I can too. It's also helped me to understand the importance of positivity because I think any of us that are dealt cards beyond our control, there is immense grief and you have to go through those seasons of pity. I think you owe it to yourself to go through it, but you can't stay there. So when I said that statement, I was thinking about my own journey of grief. So kind of twofold, you know, you have these times in your life where you go through changes and I don't think we talk enough about grief is also related to change, right? So if I think of my role as executive director, I moved to a new city in the middle of a pandemic and took on a new role as a new executive director and at a different stage of my life. So there's a tremendous amount of grief in that. And I realized that even though I thought that I had went on a journey of healing before in other parts of my life, I had not really even started to do the deep work until I moved. Mm. And so I relate that, you know, kind of tying it back to this statement about VHL patients is that I do not have VHL. And I always want to make that clear because for me, I always want to be sensitive to our community. I don't ever want to come off in a way that I am not empathetic and that I do not care. One of the things that I did during my first few months of the organization and something that I do all the time is I want to spend as much time with our patients as possible. I think the pandemic, of course, makes that difficult, but I really want to understand more about what they're going through. I also want them to know that I care and I want to hear from them and I want to know, you know, what are their thoughts? What are their ideas, suggestions, feedback? What do they need from the VHL Alliance? What do they need from me? And so when I think about this idea of circumstances circumstances beyond your control for a VHL patient, you're dealing with this disease that you don't have control over, 
that's affecting different parts of your body, that you can have multiple surgeries and you have these tumors and it affects your quality of life in essence. And you have no control over that. So you owe it to yourself to go through the grief, to go through the disappointment, to go through the pain, to go through, this is uncomfortable, this is unfair, because it's not fair. And I don't think we talk enough about that. So in my own life, I think it's the trauma recovery, right? So growing up in an abusive environment, the oldest of four children, and just not having support. And culturally, it was a norm. And it wasn't until I was old enough to have mentors and advocates to say, it's not okay. (sighs) (laughs) I really have gotten better at doing this without crying. So I'm glad you can edit it out, but. Maybe keep it in. May offer you hand. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so in my own personal life, when it comes to my passion for people and self-esteem and empowerment, it has come through the tragic circumstances of abuse, the circumstances of growing up in an environment that was beyond my control, um, going through some really horrific circumstances And it taking a toll on me and me not until I was an adult having, you know, mentors and advocates thankfully tell me it's not okay. And you don't need to hate yourself or reject yourself because you've been through these things that are beyond your control. So I never forget one of my mentors told me, he said, Chandra, you have to get to the place where you can align your pain with your purpose. And that was like, whoa. And I, you know, I had gotten stuck in this place of anger, which is all part of the grieving process. And I owe that to myself. You have to honor yourself to go through it. But when he said that to me, he's like, you have so much to offer the world. You have to get to the place where you can align your pain with your purpose. And I was like, okay. So then there was purpose in that. Right. So, you know, those of us who are recovering from abuse, whether it's sexual, emotional, physical, any form of it, it's not fair. But there is this place where if you can keep going and you can hold on, you realize that it's part of your story and that it gives you the empathy and the passion to help heal others. And that's what it's all about. Thank you so much for sharing so honestly. I know that experiencing change does involve a loss and the change itself and something new. So how do people maybe accept themselves a little bit in that? Um, Some of that shame or guilt that comes along with being actually the sick person or Mm -hmm. the unaffected person next to them and what you know, the variety of feelings really that bring us all to this place of grief and loss and uncertainty? I think it's you have to talk about it. Someone once told me shame will kill you. And so, you know, I thought at the time it was a very strong statement, but it is true. It's the hiding in shame, right? Because if you feel the shame, you don't talk about it. You don't ask for help. And so if you don't ask for help, then how does someone know what you need? And so I think 
in relation to the work that we're doing at the Alliance, that sense of community is so important. That is the one thing I notice is that the VHL community loves their community and they will rally behind one another and they will support one another and they will inspire one another. And so I think that that is one of those examples of not hiding in the shame of this disease that you can be judged for and that people don't understand. And so you can be misunderstood. And again, it affects quality of life. So you're talking about financial, you're talking about, you know, employment, you're talking about physical abilities, you're talking about the toll that it takes on your family, let alone just you. And so it's so important to be able to ask for help and to have that safe space to share your story and say, hey, this is something that I've gone through. This is something that I'm going through. This is something that happened to me that I'm struggling with. And I think it's also that point of also allowing people to support you. So a journey of healing, as far as me personally, it will be lifelong. Um, But I think that that is really what has given me the heart to be a nonprofit and to do work. I consider myself to be a servant leader So really being mission driven and focused on how do I live a life that inspires others, but also helps to bring healing. So I recognize that my journey really is about healing. And as I inspire others to heal, I too am healing. But it is a journey. It's not something that you arrive at in one month or three months. It will be for the rest of my life. And there are times that... You're like, wow, I if I could do it all over again, I would have I'll go through it again because now I can do this. And there are times that you're like, you know what? That really doesn't feel good. Yeah, right. Right. (laughs) And I'm really angry. And I think it's like be human and feel that and and just allow yourself to feel it. I you know, I'm the oldest of four. I'm very much a big sister. I'm also a mom. My daughter's 20, so that's another story because 20, she's 20, so she's at 20 where she doesn't want mom's advice. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I've always told my siblings and my daughter is allow yourself to feel how you feel and let it go. And I think yes. if we can allow ourselves to sit in a feeling and to own that feeling and to literally allow it to move through your body, just feel every part of that emotion, whether it's anger, frustration, disappointment, joy, excitement, happiness. It's giving yourself permission to feel it and not ignoring it or not, and also not judging yourself for it. Sure, sure. I so appreciate what you're saying, especially now being a little bit more involved in the community where we weren't before. And it feels a lot different being involved with others rather than kind of even there are three of us in my family affected, four of us, you know, together. And now, fortunately, we have my brother and I each have wives and that still gets lonely. Mm -hmm. So having this larger community, I can really appreciate how you're addressing that part of it, because going through some of these feelings and trying to express them even amongst ourselves gets really difficult. So I'm glad to hear that you've found yourself healing and moving forward with this community that doesn't necessarily share the same story, right? but that you get to share that part, that healing, that, that experience with afterwards. That's really beautiful. Well, your work that you're doing, I think even in having this podcast 
is so necessary. And so I think if there's any advice that I could give you is don't try to be perfect. You just need to show up as your authentic self and invite others to bring their authentic selves to the table. And this idea of a hero's journey is that we all have some type of adversity that we have overcome or that we are striving to overcome. And I think that our stories matter and people need to tell their stories. And I think now more than ever, In this time in society, more people are saying, I will not be ashamed to talk about the things that happened to me. And that relates to our personal and professional lives. And so one of the things that I'm very grateful for in being at the Alliance is that I can be a human and I can be a leader who I am emotional. I will cry on a call with ambassadors. I'll cry on a podcast. I will cry. And it means something to me. There are times where I can just feel that a day where it just doesn't feel right. And it's because one of our patients is going through something that's real. And that is something that I don't ever want to lose. And I think that we have to do more to invite people into this sense of belonging. And that is the human part that we don't ever, we don't ever want to lose that. I hope we never lose that. Sure. And I think you and I have even mentioned in in previous conversations where that not tends to get lost, but it can get lost in the struggle for funding and research and technical and medical progress Mm -hmm. because there is this illness to address. And we kind of put to the side that human aspect a little bit. Mm -hmm. So coming together and trying to navigate all these things together is even more important so that we don't lose it. Right, right. Because yes, Joseph, we are a nonprofit. So we do focus on education and awareness and support and research. And we need funding to survive, right? We need funding to do the work that we're called to do. But number one, it's the human. We're here because of our patients. We're here because of a disease. We are here because we want to find a cure for cancer through VHL. Mm -hmm. And so that human part transcends everything else sort of shifting a little bit we you've talked about diversity equity inclusion Mm -hmm. and i think right now with the alliance and this shift of energy diversity equity and inclusion actually um has been addressed by even larger organizations like the national organization rare diseases Mm -hmm. can you please talk to us a little bit about what drives you towards diversity equity and inclusion in healthcare and specifically at the vhla I believe that everyone should feel as though they have a sense of belonging, but also that people should not be denied the highest quality of life, right? You'll hear me say quality of life as much as possible because it really is about quality of life. And so when you're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, when you're talking about health equity, when you're talking about equitable resources, it's the human part. So to me as a human being, I should never be okay with someone lacking access to quality care, support, education, and resources. It's just not right. 
when it comes to my upbringing. So I'm very proud to say that I was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, I lived in Louisiana until I was 10, but it was the most foundational years of my life. And so now, you know, I'm able to go into a time of more reflection. I feel like I think about my grandparents more and more. They've since passed. But I think about being five and six years old and watching how they ate, you know, so we're Creole, so very much jambalaya gumbo. You cannot have rice without gravy. But I also think about the fact that my grandmother passed away with diabetes and that she was an amputee and that my grandfather passed away. He had a heart attack and he was not found for a few days and it was on his back doorstep. So I think about their health and things that maybe were considered to be the norm, but it shouldn't have been normal. And I remember like going to the doctor with my grandmother and just this idea that she did not expect to receive the best quality of care. She expected to be discriminated against. She expected that the doctors wouldn't treat her the same as they would treat other patients. And that's just not okay with me. And so it goes back to that place of aligning pain with purpose where you're understanding, okay, you had these experiences in the South that it was very segregated at the time. And even though you had that sense of community within your own community, it wasn't okay that certain communities were lacking resources, that certain communities just They could have had a higher life expectancy had they had adequate resources, but they just expected that they wouldn't. That takes a toll on someone's self-worth, their self-esteem, and ultimately their quality of life. So all of that drives me. I remember a conversation I had with one of our staff a few months ago, and I remember crying on the call because I'm. we were talking about DEI, and I'm like, the thought of a VHL patient not being able to receive the support that they need because of their race, because of their gender, because of their geographic location, because of their physical abilities, because of social economics, that doesn't sit well with me. And I'm like crying on this call. It's serious for me. And I think that DEI is... An uncomfortable topic, right? Because we always want to automatically go to race. Mm. We automatically go there. But it is not just about race. It is about every part of life. It is about that you cannot control the circumstances that you were born into and that you should not lack any good thing because of things that are beyond your control. And so as long as we have a seat at the table, as long as I have a seat at the table, I should be sitting at that table to advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves. Kind of come back to my own experience a little bit for a moment here. In 2018, I went through my fourth craniotomy, which isn't that big a number for a lot of VHL patients. Some of us go through quite a few of these surgeries. But really for me, I came out of a successful brain surgery to be told I had kidney cancer. And so after 28 years of my VHL experience and all that it had entailed, I was now going into my late 30s and shifting into the next phase of my life with VHL, which is now you have these new issues. And in this particular case, right? So my world is rocked and shattered all brand new again, right? And so how do I find myself 
again after all these years find myself feeling like a victim and having to learn again what do i do to survive this and navigate this and all it's all brand new and it happened at a very interesting time in this history because almost right away i was told about this clinical trial so for the last three years, I've been part of a clinical trial that has been very successful for VHL patients and in particular for renal cell cancer patients. And now, even though things are uncertain, it's still very new, we're just coming around, the FDA just approved it, it's not even really available yet. But for me, I think part of why I even engaged in this podcast recently after thinking about it for so long is because this recent FDA approval sort of sheds a new light on what it is to navigate and that there is hope and there's still uncertainty and we're not sure what's going to happen. And these surgeries, those tumors, right? The story is still kind of unstable for VHL patients, but now there's more than just more surgeries and more of the same that way. And so you're just going to keep on surviving and this maybe a little bit more light shed on all of it where we can navigate. Is there anything you have to say about that excitement? That it continues in that, you know, it is, I think Dr. Iliopoulos recently um, said on a call just about, he just spoke to the fact that it will get better. Like there's just hope. And so, you know, from the conversations that I've had with people that have been connected to the Alliance for many, many years, that their history spans many years, they never even thought that they would see the day that there was an FDA-approved drug. So I think more than anything, it's the excitement, but it's also waiting, like what's next? Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, it's still so early. So as far as what we're doing at the Alliance, all that we can to make sure that we're staying at the you know front line of what information is available, how can we educate our community? How can we provide them with the most up-to-date education? How can we support those that may be concerned about insurance coverage um, and how they can have access to the drug? And so those are all conversations that we're continuing to have with the pharma company, but also with our physicians, because number one, for patients, it's really about the conversations that they're having with their treating physicians. But I can tell you that it's been so positive. So right now, it's just, you know, we did our first town hall September 14th, just to make sure that we're answering questions for the community. And then right now we're in the process of planning another Q&A session that's recorded with Dr. Iliopoulos so that we can make sure that we're answering all of the questions that have been submitted. We're also going to be doing our first Spanish language town hall on, I think it's like mid-October. And so more to come, right? So I think it's just the incitement continues. It is a time of hope. I can't stress that word enough, but it's also we're wanting to set expectations, right? It's going to take time to learn more about how the drug affects those who are taking it. We have to learn more about maybe additional clinical trials or whether there will be. And so I think it's just setting the expectation that it's just going to take time for us to learn more and to capture additional information. 
Of course, of course. I've actually been uh, on some of these calls recently. I've heard some of the patients talk about how their own physicians don't really know mm -hmm. about not just Belzutifan, but much about VHL mm -hmm. in general. Yes. Um, now, I know these resources are very readily available with, at VHL.org, and I know that the team is always there, but... Would you encourage patients to use VHL resources to share them with their physicians, Absolutely. point their physicians to you guys? Absolutely. And I can tell you that we are aware that VHL is a disease that is not commonly known among physicians. And so one of the things that we're working on is how do we put together programming and education for physicians mm -hmm. to help educate them mm -hmm. about the disease. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that we're focusing on. Those are the initiatives that we're looking at because that that is part of our responsibility, right? So not only the education to our patient community, but also to our physicians. And it is a process. Of you course. know, it is a process there. It's definitely a step by step process. But we recognize that we want to utilize the relationships that we have with the physicians at our clinical care centers to help cultivate and coordinate education and to provide a higher level of knowledge about VHL. I really appreciate hearing that because after all these years to hear that patients are still having that trouble, mm -hmm. it's nice to know that that focus of inclusion is, yes. is there now really because, again, the patient community is actually very well educated. Yes. We, we, we kind of know what's going on because yeah. we have to. <laughs> yes, you, know? you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. But I, I think it's just one of those situations where, again, I don't ever want to. This is your life, right? Yes. This is your life. Yes. But I also think that it's it's just recognizing that it is a process. There's so many moving parts, like even when we talk about the drug. So, you know, there's excitement and there's like, what's next? How do I get access to it? What if I can't get it? What does this mean for me? It's all of those things. Sure. And it's all that would be normal for, you know, normal questions, normal feelings for a patient to have. But it is still, in a sense, a waiting game because we're looking to see, okay, what's next? Sure, sure. But the feelings are there. Yes. There's hope. There's energy. Yes, it's there's everybody, hope. There's anxiety energy. is even actually kind yeah. of a positive these days yes. because it's in that direction. Right. Yes. I'm glad to hear that for everybody. Yeah. Uh, being part of the clinical trial, I've been excited. My family's been excited. Yes. We see I've done really well on it. So that's exciting for us. Yeah. So I'm really glad to hear that that's just the energy Again, still everything is uncertain. Yeah. But we can all feel more balanced about it. Yes. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to Very Heroic Living. That was our interview with Chandra Clark at the VHLA offices in Boston. We hope you're enjoying the show and that you're able to take something positive from these sometimes difficult conversations. If you are enjoying the show and you like it, please hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. So when the future episodes pop up, they'll be right there. And you don't even have to do any extra work. It's right there for you. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.